3: Hi, everybody. Welcome to Who Cares About the Rock Hall, a podcast about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I'm your host, Joe Quazala, and everyone knows at this point, I know too much about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but that's not going to stop the show. I want to <laughs> continue to learn more and talk about it. To my, the dismay of my co-host, who's with me as always, Kristen Studdard. Hello, Kristen.
2: Hello. Continuing to also learn more.
3: But you have quite a rate of loss when it comes to information. That I is do impressive my best to, me. to
2: not retain.
3: <laughs> uh, well, I am excited to have a guest with us today for a new month. It is the beginning of September. So we are beginning our journey into a new bad pun theme month. Uh, and I think I'm going to bring him in before I reveal what the new Feed like, month what? is this September.
2: <laughs> oh gosh!
3: Uh, he is a writer, editor. He was the publisher editor of New York Rocker. He has worked for Epic Records. He has worked for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in many different ways. Andy Schwartz. Hi, Andy.
4: Hello, Joe. Hello, Kristen.
2: Hello.
3: Thank you so much for joining us. Now, as I, was, me. as I was telling Kristen, it is a it is a new month every new month, month since the induction announcement, I have been doing bad pun theme months. Kristen, do you remember we've done June, July and August at this point. Do you remember what they were?
2: I remember fool lie and sure. dot gust. What was June?
3: June was uh, early in June. Oh, That's,
2: God. <laughs> that was
3: the worst pun of them all, I've I think. I
2: blocked it out. I yeah. don't know. They've all been terrible. What could this? I mean, I, I'm i like, with this introduction for our guest and the fact that I forget everything, I'm like, what Sep- September in Cleveland? Um, I don't so, know what it is.
3: Okay. So... Uh, we're getting pretty close to the induction ceremony. That's going to be at the end of October, so we're getting there. There's one category in particular that we have not talked about.
2: Oh, oh, oh we talked about early influence. Musical ex-September-lence.
3: Welcome to music september <laughs>
2: No! No! You no. have made it
3: to... You have made I'm it leaving. To the month I'm actually of...
2: leaving this month. This is, a, I'm in, I'm going to be in musical except September lens. That will be what I'm doing.
3: That's, that's fair. But everyone will know that you're actually in new No, excellence. No one is excellent. <laughs> and so for the occasion, you know, there are three inductees in this category this year, but Before we get into those artists, I want to do a bit of a history of that category and how it started and how it has evolved. And so we have Andy with us to help us out. But before we get into that, Andy, we should talk about your connection to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and how you got involved.
4: Well, Joe, I was asked to be a voter from the beginning. I think I may have just started, well, maybe not in the first year, but certainly by the second year, Mm -hmm. uh, the second year's inductions, I was a voter. My name was put forward by a very good friend of mine, Alan Betrock. He passed in 2000, but he was involved with the Hall of Fame from an early period. I believe he may have been the first editor of the first program book, Mm -hmm. That was distributed at the first induction ceremony. He may have done that for one or perhaps two years. And then he put me forward as his replacement in that position. So I became the managing editor of the program book. And I did that for, it was certainly three years, and it may have been as many as five years, where I was responsible for assigning the biographical essays of the inductees I put forward the names of artists to design or paint the cover of the program. I worked with a photo editor to gather the necessary photos and everything that went into, up to the point of production, that went into creating the program book. Now, I myself wrote quite a number of the biographical essays for these annual programs, including Holland Dozier Holland, uh, Spooner Oldham.
2: These sound like made up names.
4: (laughs) We'll get into
3: Spooner in in,
2: in a second. Spooner, Holland Dozier Holland. I mean, I'm- You know
3: who Holland Dozier Holland is, don't you? No. Should I? Do I? I I would think so, because they're like they're the songwriters of like every Motown song, like of many, many Motown songs.
4: Kristen, like many Americans, most Americans (laughs) you wouldn't recognize their names, but you would instantly recognize their songs for the Supremes, the Four Tops the temptations and many others
2: Oh yeah I mean I believe that absolutely They're
4: the big Motown songwriting team
2: I like that a lot but no I did not know about them
4: a- According to the list I received from Joe it's my perception or recollection that the category called side originally called sideman
2: Sideman yeah
4: was not inaugurated until some years into the process
3: That's very true so yeah the category used to be called sideman uh and it was men uh and continues to be men
1: Interesting. um
3: and they did not induct anybody in this category until the year 2000 which you know was a good you know 14 or so years into the induction ceremonies
4: there were some people who were inducted as early influences who might have gone in in the sideman category but i can't really be specific about that without the comprehensive lists to compare the names that I'd be talking about.
3: Right. I would say someone, maybe someone like Charlie Christian. Yeah. uh, You could consider a sideman. He was inducted as an early influence. Yeah. uh, Kind of before the invention of this category, you know, you had to put these guys somewhere. So yeah, I say, let's jump into this musical excellence category, which did begin as the sideman category in the year 2000. And let's just, let's go through these artists in the first year of this category. There were five inductees and why don't we start with the drummers?
2: Let's give the drummer some.
3: For the first time, start with the <laughs> drummers. Um, Cause we've got, we've got some of the all-time great drummers. We'll start with Hal Blaine, who was a member of the Wrecking Crew and is sometimes given the title of the most recorded drummer in history.
4: He certainly is up there, Joe, like probably top three. it, it It'll never be definitive who was, in fact, the most recorded drummer, but he is certainly up there.
3: Yeah, and it's, it's difficult sometimes with these session musicians to track, especially when, like, say, the Wrecking Crew, they were called in for hundreds and hundreds of, of sessions, and there weren't very specific records of that that you can I know he had a stamp famously that he would put on the charts that said Hal Blaine strikes again at a certain point, but I don't think he, he began with with that stamp. <laughs> he
2: didn't start with it. Yeah.
3: He also toured
4: for years with the John Denver band.
3: And I would say if we're looking at what's the definitive Hal Blaine, I think one of the most iconic is the beginning of Be My Baby by the Ronettes. that huge that's like the hal blaine sound yeah. um which is you know it has been connected to obviously the phil Spector sound like he was one of phil Spector's main session musicians that was in a lot of those those sessions
4: he is hal is all over many beach boys records many jan and dean records i particularly commend Ride the Wild Surf by Jan and Dean as a showcase for his drumming, the way he navigates the uh, time changes and the breaks and so forth, just Mm -hmm. drives the whole production. Really masterful.
2: I think also it's interesting, like the concept that the sideman category was introduced under that name, you know what I mean? And that it didn't come around until 2000. Do you know anything about the impetus for starting this? Was it just kind of like we've got these great players and we don't have a category for them and so we're going to create one for people like this? I
4: have to confess, Kristen, that I was never quite far enough inside the organization or the nominating process to offer any particular insight about the evolution of the category. I've only been a voter and a creative contributor. I've never been a participant in the nominating committee. Hasn't been the hoagie. Uh,
3: well, well, Kristen, what you described, I think makes a lot of sense though. Like I think that line of thinking is most likely how we wound up here.
2: Well, and it's just also interesting, and I know that we'll go through this kind of as the category evolves and like the inductees kind of change and stuff, but I don't know. I'm kind of like, who would, maybe this is just a product of a certain time in studio recording history and in kind of music where there were these ubiquitous guitarists drummers like session players and people who weren't necessarily like artists in their own right as far as putting out music under their own names but they were so known and they were important to the people who were running the hall and they decided to give them
4: that is correct and as late as 2000 the hall was still inducting and honoring artists from the 50s and 60s Mm -hmm. artists for whom These musicians, these predominantly studio players, were intrinsic to their success and to the quality of their recordings. Mm -hmm. So it kind of went hand in hand.
2: I'm pretty indicative and narrow-minded that in 2000, we're still kind of using a gendered category name. It's, it, you mm-hmm. know, just people are like, that's what they were. They were sidemen, no problem, blah, blah, blah. But what, a, right. I, I think that's probably got a lot to do with why it changes as well too. But we'll see that as it comes through. Yeah. Or just, I bet the definition, because I mean, it's like Nile Rodgers was put in under the musical excellence category, which is what this, uh like- becomes becomes and stuff. And it's not that he was necessarily just a side man, but he also was a producer and all that stuff. So I'm curious. I'm curious to see where we go from here.
4: We ho- I hope we'll get to Nile specifically. Oh, yeah, we definitely will. We, we will. If okay. I know
2: Joe, we're getting to them all. Uh, we've only gotten through one and I and I yeah. really stopped us cold. No, no, no.
3: You know, and, and I can't put this to any one person in particular, but my mind does go to Paul Schaefer, who has been on the nominating committee and who is a major presence at the induction ceremonies and has inducted a lot of these side men himself often with his full band playing the music to kind of show you what parts of the songs you would recognize that is connected to these artists. And he's someone who I think, if not invented this idea, he most certainly championed it. I I just knowing what I know about that guy. Let's go on to the second drummer who was inducted that first year. Another person who has been given the uh, title most recorded drummer in history because, we don't know so we can give it to a few <laughs> we can give it to a few people if we want to and that's from new orleans earl palmer
4: great artist great player he started out as a growing up in new orleans he was a street dancer he was like a you know kid you would throw some coins to mhm right uh, before he actually began playing the drums and uh, of course earl is the powerhouse behind many of the early little richard hits his drum intro for one of those famous little richard songs <laughs> Was lifted wholesale by John Bonham for the Led Zeppelin recording Rock and Roll. The, the Bonham intro is a straight rip from something that Earl laid down behind Little Richard.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: He
4: also, along with a lot of other New Orleans musicians, he migrated to Los Angeles. And quickly became engaged in the studio scene there. Mm -hmm. He is really known. I'm sure he did more than his share of live gigs with numerous artists, but he is principally known and remembered to this day as a studio musician.
3: And he is another Spectre guy. Like he is on River Deep Mountain High.
0: high.
3: He is on You've Lost That Loving Feeling. And so, yeah, he's got two really important phases of his career, that New Orleans era, which involved Fats Domino, and then when he went to Los Angeles, and then then it kind of like exploded. As we know, the, the Wrecking Crew and those artists, their output was so prolific.
4: Mm-hmm. Earl Palmer is also a great favorite of the Capitol Records producer, David Axelrod. He's a songwriter, arranger, and producer. They worked a lot of sessions together, And it was on some of these rod sessions that Earl laid down some beats that became heavily sampled Mm. in later years. That is not the case for for Hal Blaine, for Uh example. Hal Blaine is not known as a drummer, widely sampled. But Mm -hmm. Earl Palmer is playing behind people like Lou Rawls. Even like the, the TV star, the actor David McCallum made some records for Capitol that that Axelrod produced and that Earl Palmer played drums on. These have been heavily sampled, you know, repeatedly on multiple hip hop tracks.
1: Uh,
3: Let's move on to the... Bass player who was inducted in the in this first year, and that would be the bass player from
2: Carol Kay. <laughs> I'm kidding. You, you I'm know, kidding. you
3: know the answer to that. <laughs> uh, this would be. I mean, that would have made sense. But this is also a great bass player from uh, a lot of Motown recordings, James Jamerson.
4: Yes, better known today, at least among the cognoscenti, than at perhaps at the time of his death, a key instrumentalist behind recordings like Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. You know, countless earlier Motown records by the Supremes, the Four Tops, Temptations, and so many others. You just think of like the Four Tops, Reach Out, you know, there's that famous break, just the drums Mm -hmm. and the bass. Right, you hear Jamerson like, just pumping, pumping the groove along there. Really great, you know, outstanding musician who uh, started out playing stand-up bass, so is probably more jazz-oriented originally. And after his years in Detroit, moved to Los Angeles. You know, there's a lot about him in the documentary about the Funk Brothers, the, the Motown house band. A, a, a film that was conceived and I think directed by a guy named who was himself a bass player.
3: I think that that film is called "Standing in the Shadows." Standing of in the shadows. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Which is a perfect name. Then we've got a saxophone player inducted this this first year, uh, named King Curtis.
4: Yes, Curtis Owsley. He was from Texas originally, paid his dues there throughout the south southwest, before coming to New York, and he uh, formed a band that I believe they were kind of. They may have been like the house band, King Curtis and the Kingpins, at a Harlem night spot such as Count Basie's Club or other places in Harlem. They were the house band backing up whoever the vocalists were at that time. He became a great favorite of the Atlantic uh, Records guys, the producers like Jerry Wexler and Ahmet Erdogan and King Curtis and the Kingpins backed countless Atlantic and other artists, including of course Aretha Franklin, Wilson Pickett, I could go down a whole long list and Mm -hmm. was for many years an integral part of Aretha Franklin's stage band with whom, and I saw King Curtis with Aretha at an upper Manhattan show in 1971 Wow! uh, backing, you know, King Curtis and the Kingpins backing Aretha. That group also included Bernard Purdy on drums, uh, Jerry Jermott on the bass. Another guy from Texas named Cornel Dupree played guitar and other players who kind of went in and out of the ranks over the years.
2: You know, I'm starting, I'm starting to see why you are our guest today.
4: Uh- <laughs> Coming with the knowledge. Coming, Coming with the knowledge. With
2: the knowledge, unreal. with firsthand. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, Kristen- wow.
4: Kristen Muhammad Ali made an appearance on that show. Oh, wow. Came out and just like waved or said a few <laughs> words, you know? Yeah. This isn't like a a dusty concrete sports stadium in upper Manhattan,
2: just standing in the dirt. Well, and I'm seeing too that he died in 1971. So that would have been one of his last performances. It was,
4: I don't really know the chronology, but it was just a few months before his murder.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, Yeah. And yeah, you would recognize that iconic solo on Respect. And the coaster song, Yakety Yak, is very saxophone forward. And that is all all King Curtis. King Curtis, though, had a career himself and was nominated a few times as a performer for the (laughs) Hall of Fame. But after not getting in a handful of times, they chose to put him in the sideband category, which I think is still, I think it still fits.
4: Yeah, he made really good records under his own name. A lot of them were versions of people's earlier rhythm and blues hits, whether that was uh, Them Changes by Buddy Miles or uh, I Never Loved a Man by Aretha. King Curtis did his own saxophone instrumental versions of these. Much admired and loved by Dwayne Allman, they played on a number of sessions together. And there's an Allman Brothers Band recording from '71, later in '71, just a, that is just a couple of weeks after King Curtis's death, where Dwayne talks to the audience about King Curtis.
3: And yeah, sadly, Dwayne Allman himself would die not long after.
4: Yeah.
2: I'm curious about how many people in this first class had been nominated on their own before being inducted so, in the Sideman camp.
3: You know, obviously the guys i had said before their name was not front and center the way King some of King Curtis's output was as the artist. The other guys, you know, they were playing on the session. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the final inductee from this first year so we've had drummers we've had a bass player we've had a saxophone player kristen do you want to guess what instrument we've got
2: it's got to be harmonica <laughs> we do get a harmonica player later okay.
3: but obviously it is a it is a guitar player it is scotty moore who famously was the guitar player for elvis presley
4: huh. he was a real he's an interesting figure because he was not a anyone's idea of a rock and roll musician, when he met Elvis, he was a country musician who was certainly familiar with and could with the vocabulary of the blues. Mm -hmm. So he had the the ability to work with Elvis and with Bill Black and Sam Phillips at the board to create that unique uh, synthesis of country music and rhythm and blues or blues that we know as the early Elvis Presley, you know, the Sun sound of Elvis. Mm-hmm. Um, he toured with Elvis for quite some years. I'm not exactly sure when he retired from the road. Scotty Moore went on to, he had a, a couple, he had at least one record label that he founded and ran. And he had a recording studio in Nashville that was, uh, you know, widely used and a successful business for a number of years. I, I don't he was a quiet, self-effacing man who um, you know I don't really know like uh, too much about his personal life or what he did for his last 20 or 30 years but uh, certainly people like Jimmy Page uh, have always credited him as a primal influence you know on their own playing their own the desire to play electric guitar Mm -hmm. you know stemmed in, for many people, from the work of Scotty Moore with Elvis,
3: yeah, and you know, you, you think about how important those Elvis records were, and you know, there he, for the most part, had a consistent band on those records.
4: On the Sun and, Records, you're right. Scotty and, Moore, Scotty Moore is also on the early, on many of the early RCA recordings, like he's mm-hmm. on Hound Dog, for example.
2: Uh-huh. Uh,
3: Let's go to. So that's the first year uh, we inducted five artists. And then the next year, 2001, we induct two. We get another guitar player and someone who played with Elvis in his later career, uh, James Burton.
4: Yes, James Burton. You know, Joe, out of the list that I received from you, there were a total of 25 entries of which 18 are now deceased, along with two members of the E Street Band. Mm-hmm. So most of the people we're talking about passed on years ago, mm-hmm. you know, even when we're talking about members of the E Street Band, Clarence uh-huh, Connelly, Danny True. Federici, have been gone quite some time. But James Burton is one of the few on that list who is still alive and with us, and I think may still occasionally be appearing in public to perform. With that's incredible whom and under what circumstances i'm not sure i did see him live with elvis presley in elvis's late years as part of the the touring band that was called you know the tcb band taking uh-huh. care of business the tcb <sighs> the band. cape
2: years in the yeah. cape years and, yes. uh, yeah
4: and of course he is prominent on many hit records by Rick ricknell ricky nelson he is uh right this is another guy that's done so many sessions with so many musicians: Merle Haggard, Rick Nelson, uh, Waylon Jennings. He
3: has the iconic riff on
4: "Susie Q" by Susie Dale Q Hawkins. By Dale Hawkins, mm-hmm. you know that, that's that's. <laughs>
0: And,
3: you know, Ricky Nelson was on TV so much performing these songs. Uh, With Burton
4: he, by his side,
3: yeah. And it's, yeah, it's it's funny. There's this old footage, and you can often see James Burton, this kind of lanky kid at that point. He's very young, just, you know, playing the guitar as, as Ricky's doing his his teen idol thing.
4: Yeah. He is from Louisiana, I think from Baton Rouge or around Baton Rouge, and I believe he lives there today having spent probably many years in Los Angeles, you know, he went back down South.
3: No doubt. Uh, And then the second inductee from 2001 uh, is a piano player known for his work with Chuck Berry and it's Johnny Johnson.
1: We, we are That's when I think of you.
4: Yeah, wonderful musician that some scholars some close observers believe that a certain degree to a certain degree Chuck's lead guitar style is derived from Johnny's piano playing Johnny's some of Johnny's key riffs you know mm-hmm. now that's not really for me to say i'm not enough of a musicologist but certainly his piano playing is like intrinsic to Chuck's uh, early Chess record you know his his early hits And I believe that Johnny may have been the leader of the band in St. Louis that Chuck joined. In other words, it wasn't like Chuck emerged Mm -hmm. fully formed to lead the Chuck Berry band. Rather, he was a guitarist in a Johnny Johnson band.
3: The Johnny Johnson Trio. Man, James James Jamerson,
2: we got Johnny Johnson. Yeah, we got got that's That's
3: that's a popular move with uh, session musicians.
2: Joe's personal pet peeve.
3: Yeah. Um, But, you know, yeah, the Johnny Johnson Trio, they had a gig and one of their players fell ill and they needed a last second replacement. And they got this guy named Chuck Berry to fill in. And, you know, the implication is kind of that, like, if he was available, he wasn't really in demand and then it it kind of changed everything and they became
2: then this kid came from the future and uh, (laughs) yeah marty mcfly (laughs) came
3: through on the delorean and
4: yeah in the, in the the story goes in the 1990s johnny had a bit of a comeback he made a very good record for a division of electra called a non-such explorer it was kind of an americana oriented label and Johnny made a very good record. I, 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 it may have. I think he may have recruited uh, some of the members of NRBQ, okay, and others. Uh, to and I think Keith Richards may m- make an appearance or two. On that would that make owl. sense. Uh, Keith yeah, Richards
3: inducted both these guys, Johnny Johnson and James Burton. And I know Keith Richards was is credited with. Inviting Johnny Johnson to play on "Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll," the thing that kind of renewed interest in in Chuck Berry and his music with all these, you know, yes. cool rockers who were influenced by him. And Johnny was got to be involved in that, and that helped bring him back to the limelight, so to speak.
4: Kristen, did you ever see the film "Hail, Hail, Rock and Roll"? I
2: have not seen it. The no. Chuck Berry
4: documentary. I'm really currently going
2: through a big rock doc phase. So I could, I'll put it yeah, on the list. Seek it
4: out, seek it out. It's good.
2: Although docus is over. So maybe it can live on in our hearts. It can uh-uh. Live on in our hearts. Kristen. Just like the hall.
4: Um, it's, uh, I, I still remember, I still remember Keith Richards telling the interviewer, he goes, don't get me wrong. I mean, I love Chuck, but the man has given me more headaches than even Mick Jagger. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh,
3: why don't we take a quick break and then when we come back, we will continue going through the years of the sideman slash musical excellence category. We'll be right back. (music) Welcome back to the show, everybody. We hope you had a nice break. We hope over your break, you hydrated.
2: Maybe relocated a plant in your house Mm. to see if it would be happier in a new location. Yeah,
3: we hope (laughs) you you gave that a shot. Just
2: as like an idea for something someone might have done during the break.
3: Mm -hmm. Yeah, potentially.
2: Just potentially. Not to say that I did that, but I might have.
3: So we left off, we have gone through two years and seven inductees of the Sideman slash musical excellence category. We take it to the third year, 2002, and we have someone who was inducted posthumously, but very soon after their death, the guitar player, Chet Atkins.
4: Well, you know, he's an extremely influential and quite powerful figure in the country music industry for decades. As far as RCA Records was concerned, Chet Atkins was the Nashville division. Mm-hmm. Certainly creatively, as an A&R man, as a producer, as someone, you know, directing the creative affairs of the Nashville office of RCA, that's a lot. That's like Waylon Jennings, Dolly Parton, Porter Wagner, numerous others, in addition to all the records Chet made, some of which were very successful commercially. You know, you had like chart songs.
3: Yeah, and everything you've mentioned is not a sideman thing. I think about Scotty Moore and James Burton who've already been inducted, but they were influenced by Chet Atkins. Like you said, he was a country guy, but he did play on those early Everly Brothers hits.
4: Yes, he did. Dream,
3: dream, 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 dream. Dream, And there's some Elvis sessions that he played on as well. He's really, I, I mean, he's someone who... When you think of the term musical excellence, like what this category turned into, it seems like he fits that a little bit better, just because he did so much more than just be a side man. I would agree. Um, and his his kind of picking style, of, you know, playing being able to play the bass lines and the melody at the same time is something that he was an early adopter, and in, that was an influential thing that that he did.
2: Well, and there aren't that many artists who are that deeply involved in country who are in the Hall at all. That was that kind is of... true.
3: Yeah, he's, he's definitely one. And I get the sense that, you know, he had died in the summer of 2001 and then was inducted in 2002. I, I, I mm-hmm. get the sense that that was kind of what, what led to this. The
2: impetus, it, I see.
3: I think it had something to do with it. Not, not everything, obviously. So let's go to 2003, where we get three more inductees. So we had had James Jamerson, the Motown bass player. But if you're going to complete the rhythm section, you do the One of the best Motown drummers, Benny Benjamin.
2: Oh, you got to have well, you got to have Johnny Johnson, uh, James Jamerson and Benny Benjamin. We got them all. Okay, is there any more of these double names coming up? That Um, I should be aware of in
3: this category. I don't think so. Is is you know
2: Rob Robert Robbie Robert? I mean Robbie Robbie, Robertson. he is is?
3: obviously in the band, but he's not in this category. Okay. Not
2: in this. He didn't get separately (laughs) inducted just so that (laughs) I could say that in
4: the name repetition category. (laughs) Yeah, we haven't pioneered that yet. Marty
2: Martin's or (laughs) is there anybody like that? I don't know.
4: I wish I had more to say about Benny Benjamin Joe, other than that he was a superb and a very creative and flexible drummer, you know, with the Motown studio band for years. I think his live gigging was largely limited to like after hours joints in and around Detroit, because he was, guy was working in a studio like 12 hours a day, you know, at wow. the height of his mm-hmm. career with Motown. I I don't even think of him as going on the road with the the so-called Motortown reviews of the early and mid-60s. I think that they just wanted him like sitting at that drum kit in what used to be called the snake pit of Hitsville in Detroit.
3: The next inductee is a piano player named Floyd Kramer.
4: Yeah, in my mind, as we go down this list, I kind of link him and Chet Atkins, since they must have played together on countless Nashville sessions, since Floyd Kramer also had instrumental hits of his own, under his own name, Mm -hmm. most famously this piano ballad called Last Date. (laughs) And then there were like lyrics put to it. And I think other people recorded it as a vocal version and so yeah. forth.
3: I think Michael Jackson really liked that song. Oddly enough, yeah, he,
4: he's on countless recordings made in the Nashville studios, probably from the fifties on. Right. So he's, he's got that countryside, but you know, he
3: played with Elvis, he played with Roy Orbison, he played with Brenda Lee, a lot of early rockers. And he has this thing called the slip note technique. Hmm. which is instead of playing the note, you play the one right next to it and then like kind of slide into it. Yeah. Um, so like if you listen to, I think the most famous example is Crazy by Patsy Cline. You listen to the, it starts, instead of going dun, 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 it goes dun, 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 dun.
4: It's the kind of thing that you know when you hear it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, you always recognize it. And then the the
3: third inductee from 2003 in this category is a saxophone player named Steve Douglas.
4: Teenage Steve Douglas, as he was often billed in the credits of the Phil Spector records, on which he was a prominent soloist. He is the saxophone soloist on these recordings by the Crystals, the Ronettes, Darlene Love and others he's on countless other sessions he definitely recorded with the beach boys Mm -hmm. with jan and dean Mm -hmm. and you know just like many other hollywood sessions later on into the 70s and in late 70s and into the 80s he made some instrumental albums of his own he was recording for the fantasy label out of berkeley california but his saxophone sound uh, reverberates to the present day.
3: Yeah, I think to me one of the most iconic Steve Douglas sax sounds is in Peter Gunn by Dwayne Eddy. Yeah, Kristen, do you know that one? A uh, vaguely. It's the one that's like. Yes.
2: Absolutely. Do that?
3: That's a really full and like. Awesome. What a great
2: performance. Uh, The bass and the saxophone together. (laughs) We did a little duet. That was a duet. duet. And you know what? It really filled out the song for me, and I appreciate it. If Um, Joe had just been whining, I don't think it mm -mm. would have been as effective. So thank you.
3: You know, also not for nothing. Steve Douglas is, is sometimes credited with putting together the Wrecking Crew, getting the assignment from Phil Spector, and then grabbing everybody and getting them together. So,
4: oh, so he would have been what's called the contractor. Yeah, that's it. That's actual. That's oh, yeah. like a union. That's like a musician's union term. It also reflects a differential in pay. If you're the contractor, you make more from the session. You're recruiting and assigning the other musicians for mm-hmm. the recording date. So at this point, they put a
3: pause on the sideband category. We do not get anyone after 2003 until 2008.
4: Let's talk about that pause for a moment, Joe, because conspicuous by their absence from this list, and I mean the entirety of this list, yeah, are the musicians from the so-called Quad Cities, Tuscumbia, Muscle Shoals, Sheffield, and Florence. And the studios, Muscle Shoal Sound, and FAME, which stands for Florence, Alabama Music Enterprises. And the principal force behind that scene, beginning in the early 60s, was the record producer Rick Hall. He's not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a non-performer, and neither are any of his musicians, with the exception of Spooner Oldham. So all the people who played in the FAME studios and the Muscle Shoal studios behind Wilson Pickett, Percy Sledge, Tom Jones, Candy Staton, Clarence Carter, Solomon Burke, the staple singers, musicians such as the drummer Roger Hawkins, bass player David Hood, keyboard player and producer Barry Beckett. None of those people have ever been honored with inclusion in the sideman or musical excellence category, nor has Rick Hall as a producer. The only person who has been is Spooner Oldham, who was a keyboards player, sometime producer, uh, in a in a more limited role, but he did produce sessions and produced records that came out of there. But even his songwriting partner, Dan Penn, with whom he wrote I'm your puppet. Pull a
1: string and I'll at you.
4: I'm your puppet. Do right woman, do right man. We are A Woman Left Lonely recorded by Janis Joplin on the album Pearl. Pam is not in the Rock and Roll Hall
2: of Fame. Is Clarence Carter in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No, he
4: is not.
1: No.
2: Oh, okay. My question is, so then what? Did Spooner make a trip to New York or something? I guess I'm just like, to me, I feel like the hall is so centralized through certain portions of the music industry. It's certainly very New York-centric, very LA-centric to a degree, but- Right, you know, well, yeah,
3: you see who- it's, You take a look at this category, for example, kind of like Andy was saying, it's like- You've got some Motown, you've got some Atlantic Records, you've got Mm -hmm. uh, the Wrecking Crew in Los Angeles, and then like like a little bit of Nashville. Those seem to be kind of the only scenes and things like Muscle Shoals, uh, not as much representation, potentially because there's nobody in the room fighting for them.
2: That's just the tale of the rock hall (laughs) from beginning to end.
4: Kristen, I should also note that also missing from this roster that we're discussing is every musician known for their work with James Brown. That includes the drummers, Clyde Stubblefield, saxophonist Maceo Parker, trombonist and arranger, musical director Fred Wesley. None of those people have ever been honored by inclusion in this category or in any other way.
2: They did not give the drummer something.
4: <laughs> yes, exactly.
2: <laughs> Very rude. They gave other drummers some. They did not give his drummer some.
3: That's yeah, right. And that's right. Know, and that's wrong. Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> exactly.
3: You put in the funky drummer. You know how do you not? How do you how not? do you that not? Given yeah. the the vast influence that that riff alone.
2: Well, we just have to make sure every guitarist who's ever worked with Elvis is in. That's we'll
3: we'll, we'll get to we'll get to some of that soon. But yeah, two thousand eight, we have. Little Walter, who's a harmonica player. I think this is another one. And, and, you know, Andy, maybe you can give some insight here. I know he played with Muddy Waters quite a bit, but.
4: But he said, Little Walter was his favorite singer. <laughs> <laughs> Little Walter also had in 1952 an a harmonica instrumental called Juke. that was the number one R&B record for eight weeks. <laughs> He also had three other songs reach the Rhythm and Blues Top 10. Neither Muddy Waters nor Howling Wolf ever had a number one Rhythm and Blues record. And some hit records and some legendary and highly influential songs and recordings, but Mm -hmm. neither of them ever had a number one R&B record. Little Walter's position is a curious one Mm -hmm. because he made many outstanding records as both a blues singer and a harmonica player. He wrote quite a few songs that he recorded, but he did not seem to muster. But then again, Howlin' Wolf himself was inducted as an early influence. He was Mm -hmm. not on the ballot per se. Mm -hmm. No, he was not. Right? He was inducted as an early influence. Now, why Walter was, in a sense, shoehorned into the Rock Hall in this category rather than perhaps he was on the ballot, and he may have been on the ballot more than once and failed to garner the necessary votes for induction and therefore was inducted into the hall in this category Mm. by a select committee.
3: Yeah, you know that I looked. I looked that up because I I had similar thoughts. Given his presence on the R and B charts as a solo artist, to, to put him in as a side man is curious. And as far as I could tell, he was not on the ballot at any point. And I, I so I don't really know. I guess they just wanted to get him in. They thought he's a harmonica player and he does instrumentals. This is a a way to get him in.
4: Great singer. Yeah, died, died in 1968, a long time ago. He did make it to the UK for a tour. It blew a lot of minds. Eric Clapton thought it was really memorable when, when Eric saw him play, but he didn't make 50.
3: Right. Yeah. Uh, let's go to 2009, the next year. We have oh, so th- just
2: one that year?
3: It was just one. Yeah, just okay. little Walter that year. The next year, we've got three sideman inductees, and this will actually be the last year that they call it the sideman category. And kind of as you were saying, Kristen, You got to put in Elvis's band. We put in his guitar player. So you also put in Bill Black and DJ Fontana, who were the bass player and drummer for Elvis, respectively. That, you know, their inclusion, they were part of the Elvis sound. They were the band with with Elvis. And so that's that's really what it is. And then the aforementioned Spooner Oldham was inducted in 2009 program essay written by Andy Schwartz.
4: Hmm? I was delighted to run into him in person in Florence, Alabama, in July of 2019. Oh, wow. I I went to Memphis uh, with two friends of mine from New York. We flew down. And after two days in Memphis, we rented a car and we drove to Florence, Alabama. There was a concert there. There was a kind of an informal reunion of some of the musicians who had been mainstays of this studio scene in Tuscumbia, Muscle Shoals, Sheffield, and Florence, or the Quad Cities, with these several different recording studios. So that show was headlined by the duo of, it played acoustic, was the duo of Dan Penn and Spooner Oldham. And while we're milling around outside, waiting for the show to start, I see a man leaning against a light pole, smoking a cigarette, and it was Spooner Oldham. So uh, they shook hands and... Told him I had had the honor of writing his biographical essay for the Hall of Fame program.
3: That's very great. nice.
2: Yeah. Unassuming,
4: down home as can be, and the author or co or composer or co composer of some you know truly classic soul song.
3: And in the uh, lens of being a sideman, he was an organ player and he was a piano player. He played you know that iconic opening to "When a Man Loves a Woman" by Percy Sledge. I believe he's playing the piano on Aretha's version of Natural Woman.
2: Looking out
4: on the morning rain, I used to feel so uninspired.
3: And and I think also one of the interesting things about him is the diversity of artists over the years. You know, he played with Bob Dylan and Neil Young, but he also played with Cat Power. And drive-by truckers, and the mountain goats.
2: Mountain goats, I'm seeing. Yeah, saying, yeah. Who, we,
3: we've talked to John Darnielle on here, uh, Linda Ronstadt, and so like he has just played with so many people.
2: I'm also seeing on his Wikipedia page the anecdote for how he got his name, which is he was blinded in his right eye as a child when reaching for a frying pan and was hit by a spoon that knocked from a shelf, and his schoolmates nicknamed him Spooner. Dang. Honestly, could have been worse. <laughs> I guess. Could have been worse. Could
3: I have guess. Been fry
2: Pan or something.
3: <laughs> yeah, Frypan Pan Oldham. Yeah. Um, That's
2: not a bad name either, though.
3: So at, at this point, there's a name change to this category, and we return to it in 2011. And now it's called Musical Excellence. I think with the idea that this category doesn't have to be so narrow. Maybe it would have been a little more appropriate for guys like Little Walter. Where they potentially have a solo career, but that doesn't complete the full picture. And I think their first inductee is a good example of this idea, and it's Leon Russell.
4: Joe, uh, I'm not sure if Leon had been on the ballot previously as a performer. He had not,
3: and I get the sense that, you know, at this time, Elton John in particular was really putting in a lot of work to revive Leon's career. They did an mm. album together. Uh, you know, he's the one who inducted Leon, and he, you know, they
4: did a
2: documentary together.
3: Yeah, so there was kind of this. That's big, a good move
2: for the Rock Hall, trying to get in the, trying to get in the hall, do a doc. Yeah,
3: I mean, so it was a little bit in the zeitgeist. You know, Leon had not been on the ballot before. I think he could have been. And I think he could have had a decent shot of getting in because he had a solo career that had a number of great songs and songs it's that people million
4: know. selling albums. Yeah.
3: <laughs> think about it, he was also a part of the Wrecking Crew, and he played on hundreds of songs, so the the solo career isn't the full thing. So this musical excellence category, he's the first one in the new brand. That's kind of what it means. You can't encapsulate their whole career and what they mean just through their solo efforts.
4: Mm -hmm. I suspect from the scuttlebutt I've heard over the years that some degree of influence was applied by Elton John Mm -hmm. in this process. I would believe it. That does not make uh, that did not make Leon Russell unworthy of induction or of this honor. Mm -hmm. I do remember him at the podium of the Waldorf Grand Ballroom uh, profusely thanking Elton and telling the audience that he, Elton John, rescued me from the gutter of life. That was his phrase. He may have been thinking of that show that I saw in the town park of Waycross, Georgia, in the fall of 2009, which seemed like a a rather precipitous descent from the heights of his previous stardom, as much as I enjoyed the performance. He's great. I I
3: enjoy him, and and, uh, I'm glad he got to... uh be there and his induction
2: you know this uh, feels like up until this point it's felt like a, a very posthumous category you know how many half and half, half, and half?
3: Know, i would say i would say maybe so. it's just because everyone's
2: it. dead now sorry
3: yeah it's because yeah. yeah 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 i think a, a number of them were alive at the time
2: mm-hmm. yeah
4: i mean as joe pointed out or indicated here You know, Leon would have deserved induction in the so-called sideman or musical excellence category if he had never had a solo recording career. Mm -hmm. Just -hmm. for his contributions to countless sessions by the Beach Boys, Phil Spector, Gary Lewis and the Playboys. I mean, it's like this long list. His work with Joe Cocker, his work with Delaney and Bonnie. Mm -hmm.
3: And the and concert Sol- for Bangladesh and yeah. uh, Mad Dog's Englishman and all, all that stuff. So the this musical excellence category is new at this point. And I think the the following year, this is actually an error. <laughs> and I think they're, they're still figuring out like, what is musical excellence going to be? And so the next year they induct three recording engineers in this category, which I, think, me? <laughs> I think is not the right category for them. I think they would belong in non-performer yes. in a way that I guess what I'll say is the next year they inducted Quincy Jones as a non-performer. And if you're not going to induct That him is weird. As, wait,
2: wait, yeah. I'm sorry. Like, this is so backwards. Yeah, I know. That's, so that's like, why I think. Absolutely. This is... Like, Quincy Jones is musical excellence. It's like, oh no, he's done too much. We can't even narrow him down. We can't categorize him. Yeah. He is him a, obviously a musician
3: than, himself. And like. Yes,
2: and he is a performer. Are you out yeah. of your mind? In addition calling to calling him a, a non performer is very rude. That's also what I think about Carol King, though, too, is to call her a non performer feels rude because what people know her as is a performer. Like, mm-hmm. yes, she wrote a lot of great songs, but people know tapestry and that is her. That is such a mistake to put Quincy in a non that's, I'm mad for him. It's strange, like, yeah. it's it, so that... Also, it doesn't matter. And I know that we'll get to this when we get to LL because nobody cares what category you get put in. When you die, your obituary will say Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inductee. It does not matter what category it was in. It's true. It really doesn't true. matter. We yeah. don't need to split hairs about this stuff but that is what our show is unfortunately uh, but, but like
3: <laughs> that's the name of the game
2: that's the name of the game but like yeah i, I guess i'm thinking about it where what's even the point like why right. why have so- a non-performer category if you're going to put if you're not going to put audio engineers in it that seems like what you it's for like producers audio engineers stupid managers To congratulate themselves. Like, that's what the non performer category is. And I think
3: these, so these three inductees, I believe, are the only non-musician inductees in this category. So it, it really doesn't make a ton of sense, but I'm referring to Cosmo Matassa, Glenn Johns, and Tom Dowd, three extremely prolific engineers and some of them producers.
2: And I you know, also great. will say, I think it's very cool and good to recognize audio engineers. Like I think a lot mm-hmm. of people who work in the studio don't get as much shine or recognition as the people whose names are at the forefront of the album. So it's like even producers are get get more recognition. But like, yeah, an audio engineer, that sounds great, especially if they're really important to the process and things like that. But putting them in musical excellence seems like a weird move.
4: I want to point out that these three men, yes, were all trained engineers and exceptionally good at that position in the recording studio. But they they actually did function as producers. Mm-hmm. Tom Dowd really became a producer and was credited as such on records by Rod Stewart, Leonard Skinner, mm-hmm. many others. Likewise, Glenn Johns as a producer of Mm -hmm. the Steve Miller band and other artists whose names escape me at the moment. Zeppelin, Eagles. Yeah, Yeah. as producer or co-producer. Which is
2: great. And again, I'm like, put them in in non-performer though. That like to me is what the non-performer category exists for. It exists for great producers and great people who do things to the music that don't include playing an instrument or performing on the record. That's what it is to me, you know? And what year was, I'm sorry, I'm so, so hung up on Quincy (laughs) Jones being considered a non performer. Like, I I can't. (laughs) mm -hmm.
3: I brought that up because this was, these engineers were inducted in 2012. And then it was literally the next year that Quincy was inducted as a non-performer. How so it,
2: absolutely stupid. And also like, the fact yeah. that Quincy Jones, it wasn't inducted until 2013 is also absolutely stupid. Um, well, and
4: I wanna, There's one thing I that occurs to me at this juncture in the conversation, which is Joe, is it your sense that someone like Quincy Jones would have any input or any say about what category he was going to be inducted in when it became clear that he would be inducted?
3: You know, that I want to say is out of his hands, but as the inductee, but also he has been involved with the rock hall in different ways and certainly knows people who are making those decisions. So that's a it good- It would
2: be strange to me if what his choice was, was non-performer though. Like if he was yeah. like, nah, man, please don't put me in something called musical excellence. I couldn't. <laughs> like... right.
4: Okay. Yeah. Cosmo yeah. would... Matasa is the least, perhaps the least known of these three people. But that man was there at the birth of rock and roll. You know, Little Richard, Roy Brown, Fats Domino, Guitar Slim. He was there behind the, in that funky J&M Studios in New Orleans with the two-track board and the, you know, I mean, there was a primitive setup that he had to ring every ounce of sound from people like that were absolute masters of the microphone placement in the room when microphone placement was like the whole thing you could hardly, yeah.
2: you <laughs> hardly that was what engineering was
4: yeah <laughs> yeah it was like you could hardly mix the thing you know mm-hmm. with, right with, two track machine or whatever, you know? So it was all about like the microphones and the mic placement.
3: Yeah. And, uh, you know, Glenn Johns worked with a lot of the huge rock acts in, in the seventies from the who to the stones to Led Zeppelin. And then Tom Dowd worked with, you know, Eric Clapton from Derek and the dominoes to cream to his solo. Uh, I believe he was the engineer on respect um, he worked with the Allman Brothers. He worked with Leonard Skinnerd. He popularized multi-tracking. I think he convinced Jerry Wexler to make that part of the process. And then also slide faders, which is, you know, a, a huge thing in recording.
4: Unlike Casamo Matassa or Glenn Johns, not to take any credit away from them, but Tom Dowd was a trained, he was a classically trained musician mm. and a multi-instrumentalist. He never pursued a career as a performer or an instrumentalist, but he knew how to play multiple instruments. He knew how to read music and so forth. Also, I think when he was like an undergraduate at Columbia University, he was part of the Manhattan Project, developing the atomic bomb. (laughs) I've never been, it's his real participation in this was was (laughs) written somewhere. But I don't really know My God. what his what his participation was or his involvement. That's Andy. When you said that, I thought it was going
3: to be like a cheeky name for a musical group. Like they call themselves Manhattan Project, but the literal Manhattan Project, that is uh yeah. that's
1: hard. His
4: academic background was mathematics and physics. Wow. What a nugget
3: there. So we see this category again in 2014 we kind of get back to the, it's not quite session musicians anymore. It's a backing group and it's the E Street Band, obviously Bruce Springsteen's longtime uh, backup group.
4: Again, not to take anything away from the members of the E Street Band and in particular, the departed Danny Federici and Clarence Clemens. But I want to just point out that No members of the Patti Smith group have been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Mm -hmm. Neither have any members of the Mothers of Invention, who I consider pretty crucial to Mm -hmm. certainly the first three, four, or perhaps five albums released by Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. I agree with you. How about there's no members of the Wailers? Yeah, there are no members of the Whalers in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame.
2: No, here's my question. Are any of those artists' managers on the nominating committee? That's my question
3: for you. Well, you know what? (laughs) Um, Lenny Kay, who was in the Patti Smith Group, is in the nominating committee.
4: Okay. And has been been involved from its inception. You know, it's kind of weird. Also, the E Street Band was inducted in this category of musical excellence. The 8 members of Gene Vincent's Blue Caps were inducted in the performing category. So yeah,
3: that's yeah, this an interesting makes no
2: damn sense whatsoever. Well, here's
3: it's... what I think it is. I think I I can maybe explain it. In 2012 mm-hmm. they did they did a significant retcon where it was not just the Blue Caps, but it was the Comets, the Crickets, the Famous Flames, the Miracles, and the other
4: miracles,
3: the Midnighters. You know, the, and uh, these were backup groups that maybe should have been inducted with their front man when he was inducted, and they were also credited with those recordings. Whereas Bruce credited the E Street Band in his recordings, but they were not on the album cover. I think that is the distinction. It Mm -hmm. it doesn't make a, it's, it's a little loose, but I think. I
2: think, I think trying to make any of this make sense is it's a, it's a fool's errand. And yet here we are three years deep. It's
3: it's like you said, Kristen, they're in, (laughs) They're inducted, and that's what is. They're inducted, it is. and it really
2: doesn't matter. I mean, they should have retconned them in and not given them three hours to perform and give speeches, and that is not what happened. Uh, mm-hmm. They got put in famously famously. In, in musical excellence, fine. I got, I'm just like, what are we doing here? <laughs> the categories are, I mean, they're just so malleable and- yeah, They are
4: malleable, yes.
2: It's like trying to reverse engineer a reason that <laughs> that the E Street band is in under musical excellence, but like the crickets are in regular.
3: Well, I mean, we, we talk about malleability. Um, I think we really start to stretch what this category could mean- when we get to 2015 and we get the induction of Ringo Starr,
2: what are, what are we doing here? We're just trying I mean, to get—we're just get, trying to get the Beatles in yeah. again. Mm-hmm. We want them to show up. We like it.
3: And similarly to Elton making a push for Leon Russell. I believe the story is that Paul McCartney made a push for Ringo.
4: I've heard something similar.
3: You know, the other members of the Beatles have been inducted as solo artists and mm-hmm. Ringo had not. And you can't quite induct Ringo as a solo artist. You know, his
4: other than
2: that he had top
4: 10 singles. Right.
2: But here's my question, though. Was Ringo ever on the ballot? No. Solo. Because no. I guarantee you, much in the way that it's just like anybody, it's the Stevie Mix effect. If you put Ringo Solo on the ballot, he would have gotten in.
3: People would have gone, you know? how can I not vote for Ringo? It's Ringo. And then, yeah, he gets in.
2: But at the same time, you know, maybe it would have taken a spot from somebody else, I That's guess. That's possible. That's possible.
3: Ringo did play on other artists' records, not in... I would say any meaningful way, but I I believe he's on some George and and John solo records. And if we really want to try and reach for for this one.
2: There's just no point. They were like, we got to get, we can get Ringo in. We got to give Paul what he wants. Paul will show up if we put him in and everyone will be excited.
3: I think this is the point when the category becomes about favors. (laughs) Well, (laughs) Not, I mean, this be, it becomes a catch-all. It becomes, we mm-hmm. want to induct somebody, we don't have anywhere else to put them. Musical excellence is broad enough in its wording that we can kind of put anyone here that we as the hall would like to shoehorn into the ceremony.
4: I will mention, Joe, that I was at the, whatever year that was, and I believe it was in Cleveland. It
3: was, that's 2015.
4: That I did see Paul Paul and Ringo perform together in the grand finale, something that I don't think has happened since and may never happen again. I wouldn't exactly say that Ringo was like powering the ensemble, but <laughs> he was there playing on a drum kit.
3: Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. I will I'll say two things. One is that Ringo did make an appearance at a Paul McCartney concert. A few years ago at Dodger Stadium. Dodger
2: Stadium, yeah. Which was, I think, that's the
3: only that, and then this Rock Hall performance are the only times in recent years that they've played together. But then I will also say, you know, we have watched that performance, and it's almost like moving because, I mean, obviously it's the two surviving Beatles playing together. There's that, but then everyone who was at that induction wanted to get on stage, and you see a good amount of malaise or indifference with the inductees when it comes to the jam at the end of the induction ceremonies where it's like they weren't able to get everybody up on the stage but every single person who was there and it's like going from Patti Smith, to Bill Withers, to Stevie Wonder, to Billy Joe Armstrong, to Miley Cyrus. Billy
2: Joe Armstrong, Miley Cyrus.
3: Joan Jett. Truly everybody who was there came out and it was like, it was a beautiful moment. And like, if we're going to sneak Ringo in, in this musical excellence category, but we're going to get that performance and that moment as a result, then I think I'm fine with it.
2: If I recall correctly, and I do, if you can believe it, because we watched that ceremony that was during a Another part of my life where I spent many hours watching ceremonies and then talking about them. I remember how good the package was about the Ringo drum style. It made the case for Ringo as a musician, an overlooked and, you know, like not overlooked, but maybe under celebrated mm, yeah. musician. Like they, now, they- As a
3: musician. You as know, a He musician. gets a lot of credit for being Ringo. Yes. but Does he ever get credit as a drummer? And, and, and- yeah-
2: That black and white, everyone at the drum kit talking about his style as a drummer and its influence over them. I'm like, it made me feel more amenable to this very clear publicity grab.
3: All right, let's take it to 2017, which is the last time we've seen the musical excellence category before this year. And we get someone who I think is a great inclusion in this category, someone who cannot be defined by just one thing, and that's now
4: Rodgers. Now, Joe, you'll be able to tell us how many times Sheik were on the ballot with uh, unsuccessfully without getting voted in? 11. Ha, what? 11. Like, wait. The
3: for consideration <laughs> or on the mailed ballot? On the ballot. The ballot. 11 times. Wow. Really? Yeah. So Sheik was on the ballot 11 times including 2017 and the decision was made we cannot keep doing this and listen i think chic as a band because i I, there are bernard edwards and other members of chic i think are very important to that sound now rogers obviously is the name he is a super important person beyond chic obviously as a producer on a lot of records from madonna and diana ross to duran duran to you know daft punk Punk, having Mm -hmm. a huge hit you know, just a few years before this.
0: Fun. I'm up night to get
4: he has maintained and carried on a live band under the name Chic, very honorably to a very high standard of performance. Oh, yes. Yeah,
2: we saw them live. On um, the, uh,
4: like around
3: the 4th of July, which was very fun here yeah. at the Hollywood Bowl. And I think very wisely they play a lot of the chic hits, but they play a lot of the hits that Nile produced on. Mm-hmm. Nile so and Bernard. Yeah. yeah. And so you yeah. get, they play Get Lucky, but they play Upside Down and they play mm-hmm. Like a Virgin and it's great. It, they put on an excellent show. They're really.
4: I, I'm proud to say, Joe and Kristen, that I saw what I believe to have been the last live show by the original band. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Tony Thompson on drums, Bernard Edwards on bass, Alpha Anderson. Uh, this was at the Rutgers University gym, and I still have. <laughs> yes. uh, I still have my Nile Rodgers guitar pick. Nile was throwing picks out into the crowd. Did you
3: grab one? Amazing. Yep. Wow. Amazing. Great show. We have two artists in 2021 who are a little more traditional. We have one that is straight up a sideman one who fits the new musical excellence category idea, and then one who just completely makes who, no, no sense.
2: Who will just be remembered as a rock hall inductee, full <laughs> yeah. stop, and no more ever, treated, ever care that it be,
3: was. Will be treated at the induction ceremony as a normal inductee, is, is my guess. But anyway, we've got Randy Rhodes, who was the influential heavy metal guitarist for Ozzy Osbourne's solo career. been a member of Quiet Riot. We've got Billy Preston who I think is perfect for this category because yes he had his own solo career with some Mm -hmm. big hits but he also played with the Beatles and was credited uh, on those Beatles songs. And then also wrote songs and and played with a you know a lot of different people i think he may have even started out with playing with little richard
4: yes with little richard and with ray charles and he could do a spot-on ray imitation so cool and then
3: ll cool j which is just you know we can't keep putting him on the ballot (laughs) while we surpass him so significantly because he's been eligible for 10 years and as we induct jay-z and as we want to Induct Outkast and Eminem and, and keep going with hip hop. It is embarrassing for the hall to not have LL Cool J in. So and
2: it's embarrassing for LL Cool J. It's like such a bummer, <laughs> you know. Like, but it, it's
4: the way they're going to treat it is it's yeah. going to be. You mean, you mean not to be straight up voted in, mm-hmm. but yeah. rather to be dragooned into the Rock Hall <laughs> in the, uh, category when, and this is not to knock his achievements as a rapper as a recording artist when he is not in fact a producer a a a producer of his own tracks
3: I don't think no he's not and that's the thing is like if you think about what this category even Ringo playing with other people it's like this category doesn't fit for LL because you expect like, okay, was he in some other group? Has he produced for other people? LL's not even like
2: known for his features. Do you know what I mean? Right, yeah, I I do know. Like he... And I know that this will be the month that we really talk a lot about it, but I think he would, even if you're going to put him in one of these side categories, I think he's better suited to early influence with the new weird craft work. uh, Gil Scott Heron. Gil Scott Heron, like of it all, where you're like, this is what early is now. He's more suited to early influence than to musical excellence, or they should have just said, we're putting him straight in. No problem. <laughs> like they should have, they should have yeah. just faked it that the votes happened. I don't know. It's a corrupt industry anyway. <laughs> just fake it. Who cares? Yeah. You want him in. Just, it's like they wanted him in and, and they just put him in. It's a weird place to put him in.
3: It just, it begs the question, okay, if you can just put anyone in at any time, then what is this process for
2: Oh my gosh, it's almost like it doesn't matter,
3: you know. And then
2: it's also like, well, okay, <laughs> LL was
3: nominated six times. Is there some sort of threshold like when people are nominated a bunch, do now they go in this category if they don't make it? It seems there's or some Is does so.
2: the, does the NomCom get a gimme every year? Does the NomCom get their one straight in every year? Next year they'll do the New York Dolls and do they get to just be like, hey, we are the tastemakers and we say that this is correct.
4: I don't know, Kristen, but at the conclusion of this conversation, I'm gonna pull out my 12-inch of Jingling Baby by LL Cool J. <laughs> to remind myself what musical excellence really means. Exactly. baby. Go ahead,
0: baby. The baby. Go ahead, baby. The baby. So
3: that's the history of the Sideman slash musical excellence award. And with this year with three, I get the sense that in years that are coming, we're going to see this category utilized more often. It Mm -hmm. seems, you know, there were seven inductees inside categories alone, in addition to these six that were inducted as performers. So it seems like they are trying to. Take care of one of the Hall's biggest problems, which is the backlog of now, the artists.
2: I would be remiss as our resident feminist killjoy, if I did not point out that th- there are z- zero.
3: Well, with the E Street, oh, wait, band, the e Street band, you've Sorry. got Patty. Yeah. Patty Scalfa. Um, but then beyond that, correct. There are okay. no women. And that leads me to, we could really go for very long talking about this, but who do we think? could be in this category and who should be inducted in this category. And to me, the number one person on the list is Carol Kay. Carol Kay. Yeah. Uh She's still
2: alive too.
3: She Uh, is. Yeah. yeah. And you know, when we talk about those wrecking crew musicians, she is one of the, I think the most important ones. And especially given that this category has only one woman who was inducted with, you know, Ten guys or whatever in the E Street band, I think it would be very meaningful to put Carol Kay in there who is worthy beyond her gender.
4: In your deep dives into the Rock Hall's history and the induction process, can you explain to me how it is that when the Beach Boys were inducted in 1988, Bruce Johnston was excluded after he had only been performing with the group since 1965. <laughs> and um, was out of the lineup from 72 to 78, but then rejoined the Beach Boys mm-hmm. and has been touring and
2: recording with them since. Yeah. I, I think I think, I think. I ahead, think Kristen, first please. of all, pretty clearly, if his name had been Bruce Brucerson, Brucerson, he would have been in. I think that's probably what was holding him back. Joe <laughs> might have other thoughts, but that's yeah, for me, no. that's my idea.
3: I think in the early, early years of the Rock Hall, which the Beach Boys were inducted in the third year, there was a too strict adherence to founding members when it came to inductions. Well,
4: because they also, they also excluded David Marks who joined the beach boys at age 15 and played guitar on their first four albums. He wasn't inducted either.
3: Yeah. And you know, Cindy birdsong was not inducted with the Supremes. uh, So there was this idea of the classic lineup that they adhered to way too strictly and now i would say thankfully maybe even they've gone a little too far they they cast a much wider <laughs> yeah. net
1: uh
3: you know the cure when the cure were inducted there was a member who hadn't even played on a record uh so right? someone who hadn't
4: named, played on a record a
3: guy wow. named reeves Gabrels, Reeves Gabrels reeves joined, Gabrels. joined the group that? in 2012 you know which is pretty pretty late in the cures lifetime Uh, it's inconsistent. And, you know, maybe we'll do an episode just about that someday because I think Doug Yule of the velvet underground should have been inducted with them. I think he gets a lot of shit because he continued the group without everybody, but he played on a a number of classic albums with the velvet underground. And there's, there's a lot of examples like that where, you know, someone is not included, but then you see that like the new red hot chili peppers guitarist is included, and he had only joined a few years before. And same with mm. Metallica and like Robert Trujillo, the bass player. So it, it's really there's like a lot of things with the Rock Hall, it's not very consistent, and it, it leaves you scratching your head. Yeah. Off the top of your head, is there anyone? I know you mentioned the the Muscle Shoals musicians. Anyone else that you think? And the, and the James Brown musicians. And the James Brown mm-hmm. musicians. Anyone else that comes to mind as a worthy inclusion in this category in years to come?
4: Well, some of the names that come to mind, Joe, are of of people who have, in fact, been inducted, like Dr. John, for Mm. example, Right. you know, people who are in. Again, we're talking about what was formerly Sideman is now musical excellence. We're not speaking of the non-performer category, in which, by the way, Mickey Most was never inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, despite having produced gigantic landmark hits for Herman's Hermits, The Animals, Jeff Beck, Lulu, and on down the list. There is a house in New Orleans. They call the One of the most influential record producers of the 1960s. But in this category in the category that's under discussion here joe correct me if i'm wrong but the meters have been on the ballot but not voted in
0: Mm -hmm. that is correct
4: meters might actually fit in this category as much for their performances on the records by other singers and Mm -hmm. other people Mm -hmm. as for their the recordings released under their own name I agree They, Ooh, they are, that
2: could be a way to get let's get them in They're
3: they're they're at the top of my list uh, I along always think that they're
2: gonna get in every year every time they're nominated I'm like this is gonna be their year
3: but yeah it's true I mean this category fits well for them because they had an output as the meters but they also played on other people's records and were a, yeah. a backup group if yeah. you're
2: listening call influencers this is some good advice
3: <laughs> yeah I also you know I think about someone like Al Cooper
4: Joe someone told me years ago Andy the only way Al Cooper is going to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is if Bob Dylan steps up and puts his name in nomination and says that he'll induct him personally <laughs> Well, you know, that was probably... I, I that might be what it would take. Yeah, yeah. maybe. I um,
3: mean, but that was before... I'm assuming that conversation was before the this musical excellence category, which I think is a good place to put someone like Al Cooper, who was with blood, sweat, and tears, but also played the organ on like a Rolling Stone. <music> was doing the horn, uh, you can't always get what you want, but also produce a lot of records including leonard skinner like he really covers a lot of ground in rock and roll history
4: co-wrote this diamond ring
1: this diamond ring doesn't shine for me anymore and this diamond ring doesn't mean what it did before so if you've got someone whose love is true let it shine for you
3: be a good inductee and you know there, there's other members of the wrecking crew i think about glenn campbell someone who had obviously a major solo career but also yeah. played one of the great sidemen of all time uh i think about jim keltner who was a you know a, a session drummer yep i think about brian eno who was with roxy music but then produced and had his own solo records but then his production
4: influential
3: yeah so, so as, yeah as an artist as a mm-hmm. recording artist Yeah, that alone, and then you look at his production discography, and that is massive. I think about Dr. Dre, who again had a... Had a solo career that was really important and I could see him getting in on the regular ballot. I could see
2: him getting in on the regular ballot, but I also think that that is a good category for him. I think we're going to see that too, as we move into rap and hip hop areas, it will be interesting to see who they found the ballot and if they do start putting any of these producer artists, people into musical excellence. Cause that I feel Mm -hmm. like musical excellence is very well suited to modern hip hop. Artists who are also producers who've also done features on other people's songs. They've made their own songs. They've produced other people's albums. They've made beats. It could really open up a whole new world. It might not, though, and it probably won't. And
3: so, you know, we could we could keep going with it with the names and and all that, and that may be an episode in the future. And maybe you can join us for that, Andy. But I want to thank you for joining us for this. This was really uh, enlightening and, and a fun conversation. So. Sincerely thank you, Andy Schwartz, for joining thank us. You, yes,
2: thank, thank you, Joe. Thank you, Kristen.
3: Anything you would like to plug, whether it's uh anything you're working on or what have you.
4: Nothing that immediately comes to mind. I mean, I'm I turned 70 this in August. So Woo-hoo. I'm not really out there hustling
3: too much. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Well, our listeners know they can follow us at Rock Hall Pod on Twitter and Instagram. pod at gmail.com is the email. If you want Kristen to see your message, you need to designate that somewhere in your email. Otherwise, she doesn't want to see it, and I'm not going to forward it. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Rate and review us five stars only. You can only leave a five star review. Anything less would be rude, and it would make us sad. Uh, thank you to Mike Lloyd for the logo. Thank you to Yusu Kim for the music. And thank you to Pantheon Podcasts for hosting us. I'm Joe Quizzalo.
2: I'm Kristen stuttered
3: And who cares
2: about the Rock Hall?